Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Today, District Attorney Alvin Bragg canceled a grand jury meeting for the second day in a row. Meanwhile, House Republicans requested witness testimony in their probe of why Bragg is after Trump. Is TikTok's time up? Capitol Hill lawmakers grilled the platform's CEO today. He denies the company's ties to the Chinese regime, but both Democrats and Republicans aren't buying it. What else unfolded during the hours-long heated exchange? A retired Air Force general offers insight into the Chinese Communist Party's tactics after the regime's leader tells Russia's president the two countries are driving change not seen in 100 years. President Biden promotes the benefits of Obamacare at the program's 13th anniversary. But Republicans say this very legislation has made health care unaffordable and is part of what's fueling inflation. And has the government been weaponized against law-abiding gun owners? Representative Pat Fallon says a new rule could turn millions of legal gun owners into criminals. The Manhattan grand jury will not meet again today in the probe of former President Trump. Meanwhile, the House GOP has expanded its investigation of the DA's case against Trump. NTD's Arlene Richards has more. Media outlets have been camped outside the Manhattan criminal court for the past three days, hoping to get a shot at former President Donald Trump turning himself in on a felony charge. But for the second day in a row, District Attorney Alvin Bragg has called off the grand jury that has the power to indict Trump. The panel typically meets on Mondays, Wednesdays and Thursdays. They are expected to reconvene on Monday to consider a possible indictment against Trump for his alleged role in payments made to adult film actress Stormy Daniels. The grand jury could also hear additional testimony from an unknown witness. The delay comes after Trump ally Robert Costello gave two hours of testimony on Monday. He told Tucker Carlson on Monday night that the DA's office did not want to get to the truth. Costello said he gave the DA's office a ton of documents. I prepared 330 emails, uh, a bunch of text messages. I prepared a contemporaneous report of our first meeting with Michael Cohen at the Regency Hotel in Manhattan. Costello had represented key witness Michael Cohen in 2018. He told reporters on Monday that Cohen decided on his own to pay the $130,000 hush money. Fox legal analyst Greg Jarrett said Bragg is having trouble getting the grand jury to indict. I think all of a sudden the grand jurors, after Bob Costello's testimony on Monday, are saying to themselves, wait a minute, are we getting snookered and sandbagged by Alan Bragg? Bragg appears to have been hiding hundreds of documents and emails from them. Uh, that's exculpatory evidence, and right. they have a right to see that. Also on Wednesday, Trump said he has evidence that will prove his innocence. He posted a letter on social media from Cohen's lawyer to the Federal Election Commission in 2018. The lawyer, writing on Cohen's behalf, states that Cohen used his own personal funds to pay Daniels. Meanwhile, the House GOP has ramped up its probe of the DA's case. Representative Jim Jordan, chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, requested testimony from two former prosecutors who had worked with Bragg. In letters Jordan sent on Wednesday, he asked for all documents relating to the case starting from 2017, as well as in-person testimony. In response, Bragg called the probe an unlawful incursion. 
In a letter Bragg sent on Thursday, he said the inquiry comes because Trump created a false expectation that he would be arrested. The DA's general counsel requested a meeting with the committee to discuss the details of their request. While Bragg works out the logistics of a meeting, Trump took to social media. In a Truth Social post on Thursday, he said Bragg is a danger to our country. In a separate post, he said Bragg's office is in total chaos and that it's allowing violent crime to flourish in New York City while Bragg tries to find anything on Trump. Arlene Richards, NTD News. For the first time today, TikTok's new CEO is in the hot seat, facing questions from lawmakers. And with Democrats and Republicans pushing a new bill in Congress, could we soon see an outright ban of the Chinese-affiliated social media app? Here's NTD's Melina Weiskup with more from Capitol Hill. The exchange overall was very heated with lawmakers persistent in trying to pry answers out of TikTok CEO on things such as how much influence the Chinese Communist Party has over the platform, data collection, as well as how TikTok decides which content to promote and which content to bury. Take a look at this. It's a good representation of how much of today's question and answer unfolded. How do you determine what age they are then? to go through the videos that they post to see whether... Well, that's creepy. Tell me more about that. Do they have access to user data? We have, after Project Texas is done, the answer is no. Chu repeatedly pointed to Project Texas, that's TikTok's plan to store user data on American soil. This is, the, this is a way they're trying to say that they're distancing themselves from the CCP, but lawmakers are not buying it. I followed up with members after today's hearing asking if they believe that TikTok is independent of the Chinese regime. We heard unity from Republicans and Democrats alike. Here's a look. I think it's difficult to see with a Chinese-based company how they couldn't influence content that would be pushed out to American consumers. Their parent company, ByteDance, has representatives that are actively some of the highest-ranking officials within the Communist Party in China. And we know this is a very popular app, especially among young people. What is your message to Americans who are using this app and may not be aware of the threat that it poses? I, I've heard repeatedly that people say, listen, I don't care if they have my data, but it's so much more than just their personal data. They're tracking your geolocation, their biometric data of people, and then they're using it for nefarious purposes. Facebook and Instagram um, that do much of the same thing. But the big difference is, what is the relationship with China? And the White House shares this sentiment. National Security Spokesperson John Kirby telling NTD's White House correspondent Iris Tao that the president's concerns over TikTok remain. Listen to this. We're banning it. It is banned on uh, government devices. That's not going to change. Uh, there is an ongoing Committee on Foreign Investment uh, review of TikTok. While other lawmakers raise concerns about TikTok's political influence here in America. This is no, nothing more than psychological warfare on our children. I am. I, I'm concerned with the amount of social control that uh, Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party exercises over their population. I'm fearful uh, for people of, in the rest of the world as well. And momentum is growing here on Capitol Hill on a bill that would allow the U.S. to ban TikTok on a national scale. A bipartisan bill was introduced recently by both Republicans and Democrats, and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer was asked about this just yesterday. He said he was looking at this bill to see exactly how to move forward. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. And earlier today, I spoke with Epic Times senior investigative journalist and Crossroads host Joshua Phillip for his take on the hearing.
Joshua Phillip, welcome to our show. Thanks so much for coming on. Hey, always a pleasure, Stephanie. Now, TikTok CEO today said that his company is committed to earning the lawmakers' trust and outlined a number of actions the company was doing and would do to achieve that. How much do you think that we can trust his responses? Uh, you can have zero trust in them. Uh, the unfortunate reality of corporations in China and the way they work in relation to the Chinese Communist Party is that the companies don't have a choice. They can say the company is not involved in any of, thing, any of the things they're being accused of. That's not the issue. And so they can, they can actually use a sleight of hand when they speak. They can say TikTok is not involved in spying. It's not TikTok. It's CCP agents sent to the company to spy. And that's the way Chinese operations work. That's the way the Chinese Communist Party works through these organizations. The organization's not doing it. The CCP is doing it. And if you're going to be based in China, you have to follow Chinese Communist Party law. And Chinese Communist Party law dictates that you have to allow that. Now, two main concerns at today's hearing are data privacy and the safety of America's youth, which you've warned are targeted through psychological warfare. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah, so the Chinese Communist Party was exposed on, well, of course, in its military doctrine. Written into the Chinese military code is called the Three Warfares Doctrine, psychological warfare, media warfare, and legal warfare. Psychological warfare is the manipulation of how people interpret information or what they're exposed to. Media warfare is the control of all sources of information. That includes, like, ByteDance, and that would include TikTok. Uh, part of the CCP's military operations involved these things. The former head of ByteDance publicly wrote a letter apologizing to the CCP shortly before the launch of TikTok, stating he would use any business he made to support the efforts of the Chinese Communist Party, including in information operations. So put two and two together right here, right? So could you give us a tangible example of the kinds of content and algorithms that are used in TikTok to meet these ends? Yeah, so in China, they have their own version of TikTok. Not, it's called a different name, of course. But in China, it promotes things like education, like family values, like things that support a stable civilization. In the United States, they're finding kids logging into TikTok are going to be exposed to suicide ideation very quickly. Uh, they're going to be exposed to sexualization. They're going to be exposed to things that attack and undermine a person's morality. And so while they're supporting things of, let's say, social stability in China, they're, support, they're supporting instability and breaking the family structure here in the United States. And you recently made a documentary about the CCP's 100-year plot to defeat America. Could you tell us more about how TikTok could factor into this plan? Well, to understand the nature of Chinese Communist Party warfare, we need to rethink the way we think of war. Because in the United States, we think tanks, guns, bombs, jets, and you know, conventional warfare. For the Chinese Communist Party, war could be information. It's pamphlets. It's the ideology. It's the ideas that shape a civilization. Uh, it's Hollywood, for example, and the way they've co-opted a lot of Hollywood studios to co-develop films with the Chinese Communist Party, and why the, under Xi Jinping, for example, they're forced to make movies under their law, if they want to show them in China, that show the Chinese Communist Party in a positive light, show America in a negative light oftentimes, especially the military, and that actually dictate things like supporting core socialist values, and that's the exact quote they have. And so for the CCP, this is warfare. How do you conquer a country without having to go in and, let's say, shoot their soldiers? There are alternative ways of doing it. 
Absolutely. I think we're all starting to notice this and realize that at a more fundamental level that it's happening. Thank you so much, Joshua Phillip, Senior Investigative Journalist for the Epic Times and host of Crossroads. Really appreciate your time. Always a pleasure. And as China makes moves to try to unseat America's power, we dig deeper into its strengthening ties with Russia. Earlier today, I spoke with retired Air Force General Robert Spaulding, who's now a senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, for his perspective. General Robert Spaulding, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on again. Thank you. It's great to be back. Now, Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin earlier this week vowed to create a new world order. What concerns you about this development? Well, I don't think that's anything new. They've been saying that for a while. I think what concerns me is the fact that they actually are being successful at it. And the fact that, um, you know, when you look at who's supporting Russia today, uh, there's a lot more countries that are supporting Russia and therefore Russia and China, which is the authoritarian part of the world, than are supporting Ukraine. So that, to me, is really concerning because it used to be the other way around. Now, we know that the two leaders signed a new economic deal during their talks and have plans for a new gas pipeline between the two countries. How could that directly affect Americans, do you think? Well, one of the things that the Chinese are concerned about is the ability to blockade energy supplies coming from uh, through the Straits of Malacca into China to support their continued you know, productivity of their factories and industrial base. And so having a pipeline directly from Russia allows them to get the energy they need. Of course, Russia gets the materials they need to sustain the war against Ukraine, to continue to put pressure on um, on Eastern Europe and Central Asia. So I think it's a big problem for the, uh, for the countries of Europe, but it's a, a big problem for the world because you have this, you know, China needs resources. They need raw materials, they need energy, they need food. And essentially what they're doing is going around and getting that through other authoritarian regimes. China or Russia is kind of the chief one. The U.S. said that it would continue to fly drones over the Black Sea after Russia downed one of them. And a recent report alleged that the CCP was preparing to send suicide drones to Russia for use in Ukraine. What do you make of that? And do you think that we should continue to fly drones there? Well, you know, I think we should continue to support Ukraine. I've always said that we have to understand, you know, where the boundaries are that the Russia, you know, Russia could potentially be induced to use nuclear weapons. I think it's something that we have to stay uh, concerned about, um, you know, the same way we were concerned about it during the Korean War. There is essentially no difference um, or very little difference when it comes to the danger of nuclear weapons between the first Cold War and now in the second Cold War. They still exist. They still create a danger. So we should still continue to support those nations as we did during the first Cold War. But we have to recognize that there are limits and those limits could lead to, you know, Armageddon, essentially. General Robert Spaulding, Epic Times contributor and senior fellow at the Hudson Institute. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Obamacare, fueling the latest debate over health care and spending. As President Biden touts its benefits, Republicans say such subsidies are fueling inflation. NTD's Iris Tao has more from the White House. President Biden on Thursday marking the 13th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act, or what's known as Obamacare. He says it lowers costs and saves lives. 40 million people have some peace of mind. The Affordable Care Act has been law for 13 years. It has developed deep roots in this country. 
And Biden uses the occasion to target Republicans, accusing them of attempting to weaken the Obama-era program and cut other benefits like Medicare. They made repealing part of it virtually every Republican in every single Republican budget since the law was passed. And they're backing plans that would gut it again. The GOP House Speaker has ruled out cutting Medicare. But it's true that Republicans have in the past attempted to repeal Obamacare dozens of times. The legislation, fully enacted in 2014, bars insurance companies from denying coverage due to pre-existing conditions and required every American to have health insurance or get fined. While Biden and Democrats hail it. We made history. Republicans say it made health care more expensive and hurt individual choices. It has accelerated health care costs faster at any point in the last 50 years and created unworkable federal bureaucracy and took away control from patients and doctors. And the latest back and forth comes amid heated debates over the debt ceiling and the government's spending budget for 2024. President Biden on Thursday criticized Republicans for still having yet to show their budget, while Republicans insist they want spending cuts and they're expected to issue their rebuttal to Biden's plan sometime in April. Reporting from the White House, at Tao, NTD News. A new rule could turn millions of legal gun owners into criminals. The House held a hearing to see if the government is infringing upon the Second Amendment. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. So the Constitution doesn't say a lot of things we wish it would. It does say some things that others don't like. But it most certainly grants every free American the right to keep and bear arms. It says that right shall not be infringed. One of the issues now at stake is the stabilizing brace. At a House hearing on Thursday, Alex Bosco, the inventor of the stabilizing brace, said he came up with the idea after he saw a disabled veteran struggling to shoot well. His stabilizing brace was approved by the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives, or ATF, 10 years ago in 2012, until this happened. Shortly after swearing in, President Biden decided to reverse the previous decade of ATF decisions on stabilizing braces. He ordered ATF to treat pistols modified with stabilizing braces as short-bowed rifles subject to NFA controls. And without going through Congress, Congressional Research Service says anywhere between 10 million to 40 million people in America own stabilizing braces. Unless you remove the brace, lengthen the barrel, turn in or destroy your firearm or register your gun with this government that you know you can trust because Mr. Wilcox has been working with them, you know you can trust. Unless you do those four things, what happens? What are you? A felon. A felon. And after May 31st, anyone with one of these stabilizing braces could face up to 10 years in prison. Democrats at the hearing rarely spoke about the ATF rule. Instead, they focused on people who have been killed in a shooting, and they called for more gun laws. Representative Pat Fallon explained that Mexico had very strict gun laws, but had much higher murder rates than America. And he said you can't legislate away evil. And this is where things took a turn. And also, every single firearm in Mexico is supposed to be registered. Mexico has 124 million people. Uh, oh, 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 ma'am, ma'am. Okay. All right. Uh, she goes. She goes go. Please remove that woman, please. Yes, officer, please. You're removed. You're, you're breaching protocol and disorder in the committee room. Officers then removed two people from the hearing. And according to Washington Times, one of those people was Patricia Oliver, the mother of one of the victims in the 2018 shooting at Parkland, Florida High School. Jason Perry, NTD News. 
New developments in the prosecution of high school shooter Ethan Crumbly. The Michigan Court of Appeals has ruled that his parents have to stand trial. They face four counts of involuntary manslaughter. The parents have argued the, change, the charges would set a precedent for parents to be held accountable for their children's actions. The judge, on the other hand, said this is an exceptional case. He said the parents provided their son with a handgun despite clear warning signs. In November 2021, the 15-year-old shot and killed four students at Oxford High School. And if you have any news tips or feedback for our show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, the three-day strike that closed Los Angeles public schools came to an end on Thursday. Parents reflected on the strikes, thanking a local nonprofit for providing meals to students who depend on school lunches. And in college basketball, after a weekend full of upsets, March Madness starts back up again tonight. NTD's Dave Martin previews what to expect in the four matchups. That and more coming up. Over to Southern California, a tornado struck the region yesterday near the city of Los Angeles. This was the strongest tornado to hit the area since 1983. One person reported a minor injury. The National Weather Service confirmed the tornado briefly touched down in an industrial park and warehouse district in the city of Montebello. Peak wind speeds were estimated to reach 110 miles per hour. The tornado damaged at least 17 buildings. 11 of the buildings were so severely damaged, the fire department deemed them too dangerous to use. The tornado ripped apart the roof of a building, snapped a power pole, broke skylights, damaged cars, and uprooted a healthy pine tree. Tornadoes are rare in the area. Fewer than 10 are reported in California per year on average. And staying in Los Angeles, today concludes the planned three-day strike held by the members of a major school union in the county. But for parents who rely on schools to provide a meal for their children, the recent strike caused some panic. Let's take a look at how a local community organization stepped up. While school staff in Los Angeles went on strike, public schools closed and left half a million students without classes or school lunches. So, Community Build, a nonprofit based in South LA, team up to help families who relied on schools to provide meals to their children. Our communities already suffer from food insecurity. And so, an a incident like this where our schools are on strike and those meals that are provided for our, our children are, are not available, um, that puts a lot of strain on families, on individuals, on, on kids. We need nourishment. A mother of two sons ages 6 and 10 was one of those who depends on the school to provide a meal for her children. You know, we have a budget, right? So we're expecting, when I go shopping, I'm like, okay, for dinner, I know they're going to be, they're going to eat breakfast at school, they're going to have lunch at school. Right, so when the community come and offer support with extra resources, it really takes the burden off of the, the parents. Around 30,000 non-teaching staff, which included school bus drivers, custodians, cafeteria workers, and classroom assistants, walked out for the three-day strike. The United Teachers of Los Angeles, or UTLA, which represents teachers, also joined in. The strike started on Tuesday and will end today. 
School staff members are set to return to work on Friday. Now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Thank you, Steph. The Sweet 16 starts tonight with four games on, including an already started matchup between Michigan State and KSU. Though the unranked Spartans are playing a higher-seeded, higher-ranked squad, they're betting favorite to win simply because of head coach Tom Izzo's prowess in the NCAA tournament. Izzo has been to eight Final Fours, including once as a mediocre seven seed and twice as a five seed. Look for his team to find a way to slow down K-State's Keontae Johnson in a close win. Next up, Arkansas plays UConn in a battle of underrated teams. The Razorbacks down the defending national champions in round two, but are now up against what was one of the best teams earlier in the season that should advance in this one. Tennessee plays FAU in the third game, and though the Volunteers boast three top 10 wins this year, Florida Atlantic has slid under the radar despite a 33-3 record. Look for them to pull the upset. Finally, the last matchup, Gonzaga-UCLA, is the most anticipated. The Zags may not have the rich history that UCLA has, but Mark Few's teams have won at least 30 games six out of the last seven seasons. Now it's no secret that they want to play fast and get the ball to All-American forward Drew Timmy. Something we'll have to give though as Gonzaga, second in the nation in scoring, faces a UCLA defense that gave up the seventh fewest points. Now this is the third straight season that these two have matched up and though Gonzaga won the last two, look for UCLA to slow them down and advance with a win. And for the rest of your sports viewing schedule tonight, the NBA has four games on including a New York-Orlando matchup with Knicks forward Julius Randle playing just one game removed from his 57-point performance Monday against Minnesota. And finally, for you hockey fans, big night in the NHL. 12 games, including the Boston Bruins, who've won four straight and are back on pace to at least tie the mark for most points in the season. They host the last place Montreal Canadiens. And that's it for your sports news today. Steph? Back to you. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox. Good night.